Well, here we are, third week of Advent. We're rolling very quickly to, towards Christmas. And as we recognize each week, I want to point out that Advent is coming. That's what it is. We're, we're recognizing, yeah, the coming of Jesus Christ as a historical event 2,000 years ago. And it really happened, and we are recognizing that. We are recognizing, and we've caught it through our scriptures over the past few weeks, and we'll catch it again today, the second Advent, the return of Christ, the coming again. And in the midst of that, we're recognizing the fact that we've been offered salvation through Jesus Christ, redemption through Jesus Christ, and we live that now as we live between those two advents, the first coming and the return. And that's a good thing. And that's a really good thing. And what we're offered through Jesus Christ, we've been pointing out, is that we're offered light over darkness. We're offered order over chaos. God's going to fix what's wrong what sin and evil try and destroy and decay and disease and this morning so we've talked about hope we've talked about peace in advent and it's the same themes that come up every year and i'm glad they do because we need the reminder this morning we talk about joy and as we talk about joy i think we're going to have high points i think we're going to have low points that we hear about but joy is something that's supposed to come out of you i was thinking this morning i had it in my head uh, I've got the joy, 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 joy. You know, when they used to do this back in the 90s, this call and response. And where is that joy? It's down in my heart, down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. Now, here's the thing. If you've got an amen welling up inside of you or a hallelujah, it's supposed to come out, right? That's talking about the source. We'll get there. But let it out, for goodness sakes. So if we're talking about joy and there isn't even one amen in the house, I'm going to be disappointed, all right? You can do it. You can do it. And I can do it, and I'm going to get excited about a few things today, even when they seem like low points. We should be joyful. That should be one of our character traits as a people. So let's ask, I'll I'll ask three times, what is joy? And let's answer it three different ways. First, what is joy? I have three kids. My youngest is four. Currently, he's either dressed up as a giraffe or a lion most of the time, anywhere he goes. And, And it's picture documented and send pictures he was at wassail dressed up as a giraffe sometimes a stormtrooper depends on if the other two are clean or not but he now has all of his grandparents in town he has his parents in town he has two sisters and so he's the youngest of the whole brood and he gets chased around a lot for fun right he gets tickled a lot and of course you and i know how when kids get chased and tickled i mean they love this right how do they do it they're like okay this is kind of fun no, it comes, they, you couldn't even hold it in if you tried to hold in the emotion. They love it. It's going to come out. That's how joy is supposed to work out. It's supposed to come out of us. I'll give you another example because I think it's worth it. Stephanie and I, when we, when we lived up in British Columbia years ago, we used to go to the off-leash dog beach. Say that five times fast. And when we go down there, there are two rules on the, uh, the two top rules for the people that brought their dogs, on the big board listed on there, were ridiculous rules. No barking and no digging. (laughs) You're at a dog beach. For goodness sakes, both of those happen at all times, right? That you couldn't stop it if you tried. You couldn't stop my son from laughing if you tickle him if you tried. If you chase him, there's going to be glee and joy. It comes out of us. So let it come out of us as we talk about joy. But now we get into sort of a a dark moment 
as we go to the text because we're going to talk about Isaiah 35. I'm going to read the whole chapter for you this morning, right? If that sounds daunting, just think of it as verses 1 through 10. But if you look at Isaiah 34, which we're not going to look at, but you could look at it this afternoon, you'll see basically kind of a mirror opposite of what happens in Isaiah 35. It's a dark moment. Judah, this southern kingdom that Isaiah is prophesying to, has been going through a very dark period in their history. And, and, and they get this glimmer of hope again. They've been getting these moments where, where Isaiah prophesies. He tells the word of the Lord to the people, and he's telling them, this is what's going to happen. But there's a lot of if-then statements about it, as there always are in prophecy. This is, this is God's future. This, this clearly is not just an if. This is a when this happens. But are you in is kind of the, the if part of it that's constantly being given to Judah. Look, you guys have been disobedient. You've got superpowers all around trying to attack you, trying to get in. God is withholding some of those powers. But are you in with God or not? Because here's the future. Here's what's coming. Here's what God's bringing. And so we get that in Isaiah 35. And we're going to use this as our anchor text this morning. Going to bring in a couple other passages, but we'll anchor ourselves here in Isaiah 35 because it's pointing to something. It says, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, right? This is one of the early plants that comes up. Like the crocus, like a first fruit. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Now those are areas that were either had very tall trees that were very prosperous trees for the people or they were areas that were lush or full of vegetation. The desert is going to look like those areas. Strengthen the feeble hands, verse 3 says. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Water-loving plants will grow in the desert. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. And you read this, and you recognize the times the people are living in, and this is a glimmer of hope in an otherwise dark time. They're living in a dry place, in a dry time. And they read from Isaiah, they hear from Isaiah, the desert's going to bloom. There's going to be water, just like, and, and when they hear that streams in the desert part, just like God gave us water when we were on the, after the exodus, out in the wilderness, so it's going to be only better, only more. So much that papyrus is going to grow there, for goodness sakes. It's going to be so water-filled. It's going to be lush, unlike it is now. They live in scary times, too. So they get this encouragement to have courage. 
And as we'll talk about joy, your strength comes from the Lord. Your joy comes from the Lord. That's where you're supposed to look as you live in these dark times. And they live in broken and unhealthy times. But restoration is coming. Healing is coming. That's the promise that they're being delivered. Yet how can they have any joy? How can they, if the times are dark, how can they have joy? Clearly, it's pointing forward. This is all taking place roughly the 700s, about 701 BC is what scholars would peg around the time of this. They were threatened by the giant Assyrian superpower. Now that's backed off. But now if you read past verse 30 or chapter 35, you'll discover, oop, that's a threat again. So it's probably looming for them again. But it doesn't seem to point to that day in this passage. It seems to point beyond that. It seems to point beyond when they'll be captured by Babylon, which of course they didn't know about at this point, but we do. It seems to point beyond just the return, the trickle back of some people to the land after uh, their captivity by Babylon under the Persians. It seems to point to something farther down the road. Yeah, there could be hope for those moments, but it seems to point to something way further. And we would peg that as the promise that we get through Jesus Christ, both for the first and the second advent. What is to come through Jesus, what we are delivered through Jesus, the fact that we can participate in some of the peace and the joy that we're given through Jesus even now. But then, but then the day will come when those dry places will be blooming, will be lush, and it'll be safe. The kingdom that's coming is what we're being pointed towards. But we can still ask, right? They live in dark times. They get this glimmer of hope. We live in dark times too sometimes. Maybe not... Collectively, but personally, we have our days, our seasons, our periods of time when it's tough. There are times when we feel oppressed. There are times when we feel depressed. Times when we feel persecuted. Times when we feel lonely, rejected, broken. There are times when we feel afflicted, when we're stricken with grief. There are times, seasons, where we feel unhealthy, incapable, where we feel, or where we're just in pain, real pain. How can we have joy in those dark moments? It's possible. I think we're seeing that here, and I think we see it in a few other places. So I said we're going to use this as our anchor text, but, and you'll see these on the screen, but you're sure welcome to follow along if you want. We'll see uh, Hebrews 12 is the next one I want to look at. We're going to get images of joy and what joy is and what joy should be. It's not going to be comprehensive, but I hope it's helpful. And the first thing I want to point out about joy is joy is the fuel of faith. It's the thing we put in our gas tank to keep us going, to keep us following, and to keep us close to the Lord in those tough moments, in the good moments. And so we get a glimpse of our own Savior and the joy, yet the difficulty that Jesus faced in Hebrews 12. After the author of Hebrews has just given us all these great people from uh, the the past, uh, from the history of Israel who showed great faith, then the author says in chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And here's the key. For the joy, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, 
scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand. That's the victorious, the powerful hand at the, of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Isaiah gives us this picture of what will be. But we're reminded at constant intervals in our lives that though there's hope, though God's taking things in a direction that's going to be really good, we still live among the weeds. And it's still tough sometimes to live among the weeds. But one thing we ought to note, how joy fuels our faith, is that our joy finds courage in the suffering Christ. In the fact that Jesus went through many of the very same things we do, suffered in ways unimaginable to us even, right? He suffered on the cross. We talked about it in confirmation this morning. There's a word invented for the suffering of the cross that we use to describe other pain, excruciating, right? It got its own word. That's painful. That's suffering that Jesus went through. That's difficult. And so we don't want to let your faith be lost when there's pain, when there's grief, when there's suffering. We don't also want to invalidate those and say we don't face those pain and grief moments. We do. So did Jesus. Jesus faced pain and suffering, temptation, like we do. Yet he didn't give in. And we have to recognize that we get courage from Jesus Christ who went through those very same things. And God is with us in those moments. Not invalidating the pain, but walking there with us. And our Savior gets it. So joy fuels our faith. And our joy doesn't just find courage in the suffering Christ. It comes from the victorious Christ. Amen. It comes from the victorious Christ. I was listening to a podcast this week with Louis Giglio, well-known for worship, started the Passion uh, Movement, really. It's an organization 20 years ago, if you can believe it. For those that followed it, uh, they were producing great music then. They still are. But he pointed out, he said it was never really about music. Uh, it was really about theology and theology of worship and making sure that we're, we're on the right track when we worship God. And he pointed out in this, this interview, he said, often if, if our worship seems dry, and he geared it towards music because that's what he's being asked about, but he kind of tried to keep it away from strictly music. But he said, if our worship seems dry, oftentimes our inclination is to turn it up, to go faster, or to add more lights, right? And I like all of those things. I, I have a limit to my volume. I like all of those things. But he said, really, the problem isn't those. The problem is, the, is that we've lost sight of the gospel. Either it's not being preached or we're not recognizing what it is. And our worship runs dry. You've got to put your eyes back on that, he said, it's almost like we as a culture have moved on beyond the fact that Jesus conquered sin, death, and the devil. Right? What else you got for me, God? You did those things. We get more excited about the Huskers winning, right? Than we do about the fact that Jesus... Got, I mean, this is the case. I'm a fan. But we get more excited about that. No, in fact, our joy comes from Jesus defeating death, right? Our joy comes from Jesus giving us life that is truly life. Our joy comes from God leaving his presence with us in the Holy Spirit to be with us wherever we go. Jesus' final words as he's giving them to his disciples, he says, I'm with you always, wherever you go to the ends of the earth. He said, you go there, I go there. That's where our joy is found. Our joy is in the fact that we have the kingdom coming and we live under the authority of the king already. And we know that sin, death, and the devil have been defeated. The victory is won. 
And we know that the battle isn't completely over, but we know the victory's won. So we have joy. That's the fuel of our faith. Even though we know we live in the weeds, the powers of darkness don't have a hope. We do. We do. Isaiah 35 shows us that reality. It shows us that there's joy there, and we need to have faith no matter what's going on around us. It doesn't invalidate the pain at all. God's with us. But it says we see something further down the road. We see something coming and we're in. The desert's going to bloom. The hurting are going to be healed. The broken restored. When I was reading this and, and whenever I read Isaiah 35 and, and I read about the blind being able to see again, the deaf, their ears being unstopped, particularly uh, those who are lame leaping for joy. It's a big deal. I love hearing that. I was reading an article or rereading that, at least the first part of an article this week by John Weborg, who's a scholar within the covenant. Very fine, very fine scholar. And writes... Um, at the beginning of this article on a theology of really disabilities, what's it, what's it like to live with disabilities and what is a theological sort of understanding of that? At the very beginning, he tells a story or recounts a story of a woman uh, who had lost basically the use of her bottom half of her body later in life. That had resulted in job loss, also marriage, brokenness, and a divorce. And things just seemed to go south. But she had a strong, persistent faith throughout that. And he writes that her comment to, to him as, as he was putting this article together was, in, in her brokenness, I have an Easter faith being lived in a Good Friday body. And that'll preach, won't it? I have an Easter faith living in a Good Friday body. We know things aren't right in the world that we live in. We know things are broken, yet we know that God is restoring those things. We know that God is in the business of putting the broken things back together. And so I read a passage to get personal about it. I read a passage like, the lame being able to walk, jump. And I am not depressed, disappointed. I'm excited. As a father of somebody with physical disabilities who has a difficult time even running or jumping, I hear that and I hear restoration. Maybe to put it in different terms. I was going to try to cry on that one, sorry. Um, But uh, if you remember one of our others, uh, a friend a beloved part of our congregation who passed away a couple years ago, Cheryl Womberg, who dealt with physical disabilities her entire life. Loved baseball, could never play it, right? At her funeral, uh, there was a story told of, of her dad shortly before she passed on. Her dad saying, Cheryl, when I finally get up there to join you, can you get two baseball gloves and a, and a ball? And she's thinking, yeah, who do you want to play ball with, Dad? There are going to be all kinds of great players up there. That'd be wonderful. I'll get it for you. And he's like, I want to play with you. God's in the business of restoring what's broken. Yeah, we live in the weeds right now, but our joy comes from what's coming. It comes from what God is doing. So what is joy? It's that restoration that God's bringing, and it fuels our faith. Second thing I want to say about joy is that joy sustains our hope. You might say that seems like a very redundant uh, point, and I'm fine with that. But... Let's go to Isaiah, or not Isaiah, Nehemiah 8.10, where you have a people who've just reread the law. Ezra read the law to them, and they're rather concerned because they weren't following the law. They didn't know to follow it. And, and Nehemiah gives them this letter, this word of encouragement. He says, Go and enjoy choice food, sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. 
This day is holy to our Lord. You guys have heard it. Now you're going to respond. You are responding. But he says this, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's where our strength is from. So he's saying that I've got the joy, 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 down in my heart, right? Down in my heart. That's good. That's the source. Now let it out. That's what we're supposed to do. But, but it's the joy of the Lord that gets in there, that gives us the strength. And let's just point out that joy does not mean that we live this life without scars. We've got them. All of us have them. Sin has touched us in profound and awful ways. And what's the first thing that we see Jesus do when he goes to his disciples? What does he show them? I've got the scars, guys. Something bigger is happening. We'll have scars in this life. Things will go wrong. Things will go harder for some than others. Jesus, though, he shows the scars and he says, I know what the future holds. Are you in? Are you in with me? I know where this goes. And so we must live joyfully because if we're in Christ, we know where the future is going to. We know what God is doing in this world. And so we rejoice in what God is doing around us. God's future is coming. And as Isaiah is pointing out, those who see that day are going to walk the highway of the Lord. They're going to walk that path. And so when Isaiah points this out back in verse, chapters, verses excuse me, 8 through 10, he says a highway is going to be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on the way. There were roads that were only for royalty or for those who were at the top in the ancient world. No, you're going to be able to walk on that road. And this is being written to a people in a day when travel was unsafe. Anything could happen on the road. No, in the future God's bringing, it's going to be safe and you're going to walk the best ways. You're going to walk God's ways with God. You can travel the king's way as it turns out. Danger in this world was everywhere. It keeps going on. It gives us this hope. The unclean aren't going to journey on it. Wicked fools aren't going to go. There's not going to be a lion nor any ravenous beast. But those things were very present in the day this is written. I don't know if you've ever walked a trail when you thought you were going to be eaten by an animal. Uh, I've been out on trails where by myself where I've seen mountain lion tracks or that kind of thing and they're fresh. And I said, I'm going to walk faster now, right? This is not good. There's not going to be that fear in the future God is bringing. It, it talks about people who are uh, wicked fools, the unclean. It talks about only the redeemed being there. We're not going to need locks on the doors, basically. It's going to be safe. And it ends in singing. People are going to return to Zion. They're going to come to God with singing. And that's why we sing now, right? We're celebrating. We're getting ready for the day when we will sing and sing and sing. And joy sustains our hope. We can see what's coming. There's a rather a cycle, actually, to joy. We've been talking a little bit more of a cause of what it does, but it, it joy, I think, begets joy. As we are joyful, we recognize more of what there is to be joyful about, and so we're joyful. Uh, I think Richard Foster, in his book Celebration of Discipline, uh, gives a, a good bunch of statements about it because his last chapter is about celebration, which is really about joy and the corporate discipline of celebrating as a people what God has done. But he says this, uh, joy, it makes us strong. Foster says, we cannot continue long in anything without it. This is why it sustains our hope. This is why it fuels our faith. We, we can get into difficult moments, but we can see beyond those moments. He says, we cannot continue in anything long without it. Women endure childbirth because the joy of motherhood lies on the other side. 
Young married couples struggle through the first difficult years of adjustment because they value the insurance of a long life together. Parents hold steady through the teen years knowing that their children will emerge at the other end human once again. Joy, it begets joy, right? We see what's coming, but we get the glimpses of joy. Reasons to celebrate along the way too, which continues to spur on to sustain our hope. It pushes us to more joy. So we've asked, what is joy? It's like the exuberance of a little kid in a giraffe outfit being chased around the house, right? It's going to come out. What is joy? It's like somebody who can't jump that now can. And the restoration that God is bringing. We celebrate that, what God is doing. What is joy? Well, if you're in Christ, it's your testimony. It's your testimony of what God is doing. And so it should come out of us. And I'll round us out this morning with a passage from 1 Peter, chapter 4, 13 through 16. Peter writes to a people afflicted, persecuted, for the name of Christ, they're being persecuted. And he says, but rejoice. But rejoice. That seems like such the opposite effect, right? If you're persecuted, no, but complain, but get angry, but protest, no, but rejoice, he says. Inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you can be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as Christians, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And so we get these instructions from Hebrews, from Isaiah, from Peter. Actually, in fact, Isaiah over and over talks us and encourages, walk the highway of the Lord. Walk in close communion with God. God has given you the way. Walk that way. You will not go wrong. We get the encouragement to be one with Christ in passages like 1 Peter and in Hebrews. Christ suffered. You will too in this life, but stay close to the one who gets it. Stay close to the one who's taking you in the right direction in all of that, who will sustain you and fuel you along the way, even when things get rough. And live your hope despite the brokenness of the world that we live in. Live it out. Be a testimony to the fact that God's got the victory in Jesus Christ. And that's the reality we're living in. The kingdom is coming. We're bringing more of that to the world by our testimony of what Christ is doing, that others would join in with that. Last comment I'll make on joy. Uh, You wouldn't know this about me, except I'm now telling you, that I generally, when I write or text or put anything on social media or anything, I rarely ever use exclamation points. I want them to be exactly what they're for. When there's an exclamation, right? We're in a world of overuse of exclamation points, so I rarely use them. If I say happy birthday to you on Facebook, you will notice I'm super generous and I give you two exclamation points. That's a huge deal for me. And I've discovered emojis are are useful as well, and I used to not work with them in the past. And and I'm really an annoying texture to people because I use full sentences. I don't do text speak, I'm sorry. But exclamation point. If you notice the title of the sermon, I was super generous. Joy, three exclamation points. Joy, joy, joy. That's what should be there. Joy, joy, brothers and sisters, is is the exclamation point on our faith in Christ. Joy, as you read about it in scripture, 
is not something that just sits inside. We're a people of deep thought. And so we leave those thoughts inside sometimes. Boy, I had this great inner feeling of joy. I'm an introvert. I can do the same thing. I think I said it and I didn't actually say it, right? We can do that with joy. Boy, that was just such a good feeling. No, that's not joy at that point. Joy is supposed to come out of you. Joy is supposed to be audible, visible, tangible in some way. I am excited about what Jesus Christ has done in my life. It should come out of us in some way. We are a testimony to the work that God is doing in the world. That's joy. We should be characterized by that. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to sing a song of joy at the end. God, we thank you for the work that you've done in our lives. We thank you, first of all, for who you are. You are good, you are holy, you are love, you are just, you are righteous. God, you care about us in the midst of all that. Help us be people who respond and testify to your good work, who are not afraid to let our joy out, who are not lost when grief hits us, when pain hits us, when difficulty hits us, but who can see you in spite of those things, who can recognize that you walk with us in the pain and difficulty of this life, but that you promise us so much more than what we get. You promise us your best, and you've shown us your best in your son. God, help us have that joy that testifies to that good, to the best that you have. God, for those of us that are feeling far away from you this morning, would you put your presence right on us this morning, that we would feel you, and we'd know that you're with us. For those of us, God, that have a hard time just letting it out, God, help us go the rest of the way and testify to your joy as we go to work this week, as we go to school. As we're out and about in the world, may we testify to your goodness in our lives. We pray this all in the name of your Son who loves us so much and gives us the source of joy. Amen.